Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award-winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hello, everybody. It is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform the revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. Today's guest is Callan Young. She is the CMO of On24. Excited to talk to her about some things around transformation and as a marketing leader, how she's looking at enabling her team, thinking about things different, adjusting her go-to-market strategy, etc. Just a little bit of a note. On24 is a software platform that enables companies to deliver content experiences that drive engagement, generate first-party data, and deliver revenue growth. So we will definitely dive into some of those conversations or topics, I should say, as we dive into the conversation. But Callan, I wanted to give you a little time and space to share your journey, who you are, what you do, so people have a little bit of context of who you are, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Wonderful. Thank you for the introduction, Jeff. I'm excited to be here today to talk to everybody about how Digital Right is truly transforming marketing and marketers. I'm Callan Young. I've been in the, I'd say, the B2B tech space for the last 12 years. I've successfully led two companies through some sort of transaction, whether that was an IPO or a sale. I come from the demand gen side of the house. I really grew up on the demand gen, aligning with sales and go-to-marketing teams and really figuring out how to hit revenue growth targets as high as 60% year over year. As a senior leader, I want to—I always like to give this background as I'm answering questions and as we're going to have the discussion today is I've successfully navigated, whether it's a VC or a private equity background, or even most recently right at On24 with that public background. So excited to be here and to have a conversation. Yeah, I love your varied experiences. And for our listeners who are stereotypically mid-market and large organizations, sales leaders, marketing leaders, CEOs, some CROs as well, I think having this cross-functional conversation is so important because as you know this, Transforming your go-to-market strategy is more than just marketing. It's more than just sales. It has to be a collective effort. So I love folks that have gone through and navigated like these challenging kind of environments and really have come out on top because I think you've learned so much and proven that you can think on your feet, so to say, and adjust and be agile. So my first question really is around kind of that go-to-market transformation. So how do you propose that marketers really think about shifting to what I like to call a digital first go-to-market strategy? Because we know that buyers, how buyers buy has changed. And if you're continuing to deploy, I would say traditional marketing tactics, it's not going to be enough. So once you get your thoughts on how do you actually make that shift happen? I think we've got to get out of those traditional marketing tactics, like you said, right? We can't just think about getting a conversion anymore or getting a name, right? That's not modern marketing. That's not going to help us align to that go-to-market and digital first approach. We need to really align with what are we doing and how are we navigating and engaging people across the entire customer lifecycle at the end of the day, right? So what is that digital footprint? What do we need to do? How do we really need to position ourselves as the trusted advisor and really meet people where they're at? Whether they're at the beginning of their education journey, they're a customer of ours all the way through. I've kind of been bubbling up and things as I've been talking to boards and having conversations with executives of marketing teams really need to have a handle around seeing more, winning more, and keeping more. 
right? So how are we seeing more? How are we engaging people? How are we engaging people who are making decisions in the digital world in order to make sure that our sales teams, right, have enough pipeline to be able to hit our targets? How are we helping win more? How are we helping people who are trying to make decisions really come to that decision at the end of the day and want to be a partner with your company and your organization? And then how are we helping keep more? So how are we helping continue to evolve people and engage people to give them the resources and the materials they need to be successful in whatever business outcomes they're trying to drive? So that's really where I've taken and shifted my marketing organizations I've led to make sure that we really are partnering in a digital first way from a go-to-market perspective. And you said something that I stereotypically hear talked about on the sales side of the house. And I would argue, I probably even wrote about it in that way in my book, Create Togetherness, Trusted Advisor. We many times talk about the salesperson being seen as not a salesperson, but a trusted advisor. But there's a spin there for how marketing teams should be thinking about trusted advisor. Tell me more about what you mean by that. I want to unpack that a little bit. You know, when you think about your salespeople and you think about your customer teams, they need to be able to establish themselves as a trusted advisor, right? To have that conversation, to have the like, why should I even be talking to you at the end of the day? And the more that we can present our teams in that way and give them the materials to be able to do, that's going to help set those teams up for success. But Taking that one step further, how can your brand be looked at as the trusted advisor? Whether somebody decides to buy from you or not, or to partner with you or not, at the end of the day, them identifying the brand of like, hey, they're the industry leader and they're the best practice. How I like to do this is to figure out, you know, what kind of data does my company have that can add value to my end user and the audience at the end of the day? Can I give them something unique? to make them run their business better or to make them be able to do their job better. And then to start that feed of data in thought leadership kind of publication to really start to be that trusted advisor for the industry or the space that you're in. Now, I don't know if you've heard a lot about this, but I've heard a lot of marketers tend to be in smaller organizations, but not necessarily, maybe even sometimes more traditional organizations, that their leadership struggles with producing content that's not branded Are you hearing the same thing? Let's start there first and foremost. I might not be hearing the same thing because I've never kind of led with that kind of strategy. But I could (laughs) definitely see how it is a strategy. I just, to kind of add to that, I think COVID gave us an opportunity to get away from that, to really switch into this, how can we help? And I think if you're taking... You're, you're taking a step back and just saying, am I making content that's going to help? How is this going to help the reader? How is this going to help the person consuming it? Mentally, I think that helps us get away from feeling like it needs to be branded because ultimately they're going to kind of come back through that channel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I've had several conversations and they tend to be what I call kind of legacy industries. So we're talking about manufacturing, industrial products, trucking logistics. And I'm obviously not saying all of them, but I think they're there is an opportunity there for them to better understand that everything doesn't have to be branded. And when, to your point, when you educate the market on those unique opportunities from your unique perspective, it will eventually get attributed to you and they will see you as that trusted advisor, as you talked about, and then that will lead to better engagement and obviously driving revenue. So it's good that you're not hearing it. I engage and interact with across different industries. So I hear it from different industries. So it's good that you're not hearing it. Are you... When thinking about this kind of digital first approach, are you hiring differently? Are you upskilling marketers in a different way? How are you developing and curating the talent you need? Because the ask is different than what we used to do, right? The marketer needs to be different skill set. How are you approaching that? I think I'm hiring 
we've gone kind of back and forth in this of do you need somebody who's really deep in expertise? Do you need that centralized model? I definitely think that there's a need for that within the organization. But over the past couple of years, I think we've led to deep in that. So what unfortunately I think that has maybe caused is to have somebody part of, hey, I have this one part of the process, right? And they're going really deep. And maybe it's my background and where I've come from of needing to be more agile. But I've been switching to hire people who are more holistic and accountable to outcomes, right? They can get from point A and they can figure out how to get from point B. They can leverage people who have the deep expertise, but can really drive to a program or an outcome that we're trying to run to. So I've kind of shifted in trying to balance the team with both perspectives, because as I've come into organizations and as I've been trying to scale and get companies back to the revenue growth targets that they want to hit, I've noticed that we really water down the outcomes because nobody feels accountable to that last kind of final approach. And I think that's a huge risk to businesses if your marketing teams don't understand how they're driving to or how they're able to contribute right to success. Yeah. And that theme around accountability, how are you instilling more accountability on the marketing side of the house? I know I was in a podcast, this is many years ago, like probably a year or two after I started my work around sales marketing alignment. And I was on a sales podcast and I talked about that historically marketing teams have been call centers and the host was really actually surprised. He was like, what do you mean? I said, well, historically, and again, this is macro level, we didn't talk about ROI. It was like, did you spend budget? And we just were kind of looked at as like the cost of goods of generating revenue, right? That has since changed in many industries. But I think this idea of accountability, there's still room to grow. Even I think it's more organizations where marketing is thinking more about looking toward revenue or taking on a revenue number. Are they really distilling that that accountability on the marketing side of the house into frontline marketers? So I'm interested in kind of your perspective on how you've done that and how you look at that. Yeah, I really think it's like looking across your team and kind of how we opened it up with seeing more and winning more, keep more, right? See more, pipeline revenue targets, win more, win rates, keep more, whether that's, you know, MPS, whether that's reducing churn, right? Like you can align your marketers to a business success, right? And at the end of the day, then what I like to do is show the team and educate the team, whether that's on a weekly or a monthly basis of, hey, here's how we're tracking in this to our targets and our goals. What are we doing with our programs and the things that we're working on and prioritizing in order to impact that? And we kind of switch it into like more of a, hey, this program didn't hit the mark. How can we optimize it? And people feel comfortable bringing new ideas or saying, oh, I think I can get more out of this or they share their failures. I think in organizations, sometimes we get scared of saying, hey, this didn't work at the end of the day. But I like to encourage that from a leadership team and to people to feel comfortable sharing it openly with their peers, because then we're going to all learn from each other. We're going to learn from what went really well, but we're also going to learn from what didn't go well. And it's that constant kind of, I guess, cadence of let's look at the data. Let's talk about how can we optimize and talk about how we can do something differently moving forward. So that's how I try to ingrain it in the teams is making space to be able to have those conversations on a consistent basis. And how are you shifting people's mindset from just a very narrow focused marketing tactics or campaign level look to a more kind of omni-channel like revenue of like in totality, how are these efforts all aligning to drive results? 
because I feel like that is is Herculean task to do. I think we are as marketers are ingrained to be like I'm running this Facebook campaign or whatever it is, and then I'm going to report back in in two quarters and let you know how things are going or these are the KPIs I hit. Checkbox, I'm done. I've done my job. But that's not what's necessarily necessary to win in the future. So curious, how are you making that shift? Because I think it's a tough one. It's really hard and it's really intentional. And I feel like you have to schedule it on your calendar at the end of it. <laughs> so I try to, whether we're annually planning or you plan for six months or you plan for a quarter, depending on the dynamics within your business and kind of like where you sit, I try to make the teams plan together. It probably takes them... You could argue that it takes them out of being productive for a couple of days, but I think getting that alignment of like, okay, here's our integrated plan. Here's how I'm plugging into that plan. Here's what we're doing together to get that agreement, to make sure everything has a thread up. Then when you're talking about performance, people have a better idea of like, oh, this is how I plugged in. I might just be the social media person, but I know that we're doing this broader campaign and we have this broader plan because I went through the planning process with everybody. So now I feel more accountable to the outcome because whereas the team then we're starting kind of these check-ins to say, is it performing? Is it not? And it really gives that person that I think it levels up people to feel like they have more importance and they're driving and doing good things in the organization. So I've tried to incorporate the teams across all levels, whether they're VPs, directors, individual contributors to take them through some sort of a planning process to really get that alignment and commitment versus just telling them what to do. And I like that because it goes beyond just accountability to my tactic or my channel is contributing to a larger effort. And although like at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily directly responsible for revenue, I can see that social media campaign led to this, which turned into this, which turned into this. And then I feel somehow connected to that ultimate outcome versus me just focusing on my channel metrics. Correct. And it takes kind of those fringe groups that wouldn't traditionally feel associated to maybe a revenue outcome, like the graphic design team, right? Or social media. And it allows them to see like, oh, if I really think about optimizing this, maybe I can get more. How can I take my expertise and try to get better results? Do I need to design ads differently in order to help the digital team to be able to drive better conversions? And I think just opening up that mindset and getting people to think a little bit differently of it, I've seen a lot of success. I'd rather take a little bit of time to plan because I think it's going to get better alignment and drive better results at the end of the day. And I've seen that transpire in organizations. And how are you thinking about on the sales side of the house, right? Where a lot of times they just see the outcome, a lead, whatever that looks like. How are you, A, I think showing them that you're taking a more holistic approach and B, getting them involved and contributing to that? Because I think their buy-in is really important, but also holding them accountable for doing things a little differently than they stereotypically have in the past. Yeah. So there's something a little different at On24 that we're doing. So, and just to kind of give this background and as the CEO is listening in and the leader is listening in, really thinking about this, if you're driving, trying to drive tighter alignment of your go-to-market teams. So I'm on the hook for hundred percent of the pipeline. Okay. I don't have to drive 100% of the pipeline through inbound, like marketing-driven channels, but I'm on the hook for, okay, as a business, what is the strategy that we're going to do to make sure we're hitting our pipeline targets for our go-to-market teams 
in order for them to hit. So I'm stepping up and I'm forecasting and saying, okay, this is what I think we need to do based on our investment. This is how much we're going to potentially need to see from a more of a traditional outbound motion. And here's what I think we're going to be able to expect from a marketing kind of supported and driven motion. And then really driving all of our go-to-market teams and holding them accountable to hitting those targets. So I've been, and I've done this in my last two organizations, taken on that number as the executive leader from a business perspective. So that's interesting because I think that especially outside of tech, that's a very different approach. Yes. And I well, to probably potentially argue in tech, I don't know that everybody is doing that either. I don't think it's that common. I've probably at 20%, one in five people, maybe even a little bit less, but it's a different approach. I mean, it takes, I think, a different thought process and a different partnership model across your go-to-market teams. But I also think it stops finger pointing a little bit and really thinks and takes a step back of a holistic strategy. As an executive team and as a leadership team, we should be able to say like, hey, if we need to get more pipeline or we need to get more coverage, right, to help us hit our revenue targets, where are we going to invest that? Yeah. And having a more holistic view, I think really helps bring the leaders to the table to have a strategic conversation of that and the data and the insight. So so then your pipeline number, I'm assuming, is related to... What are you back into that from the sales leader commitment to revenue? Correct. Yes. Okay. Which makes sense because we've had a conversation that it still blows my mind that we don't do this. Well, I should say not everybody does it. it is like this cascade backwards that like leads up to the overall like revenue goal. Because what I found is that when you, and a lot of organizations do this, you create marketing goals in a silo outside of sales. There's not a cascading effect. If I miss my number, I'm causing a downhill ripple effect. We might do that with kind of like leads or whatever, but I feel like that's very soft and that those goals should be interconnected. So, you know, if to your point, if I'm hitting my pipeline revenue goals and sales doesn't pull those deals through, that's a conversation. Yeah. I mean, we're not winning at the end of the day then. Right. Right. And there's something that needs to be talked about. It's maybe it's sales effectiveness, but if we've agreed, this is my pipeline contribution in order to enable you to do X, Y, Z, and that doesn't happen. I think to your point, it avoids finger pointing because we've agreed on this contribution of the pipeline. We've hit that sales leader. Let's talk about what you need to do differently. Correct. And maybe, hey, this is all the business is going to be able to fund, right? Like this much pipeline coverage. And that's the conversation that, that the executive team needs to have at the end of the day as a group. And okay, if this is all we can fund, what do we want to do to expedite and optimize the sales process, right? And it really kind of changes and tackles the conversation in a different way to your point. Yeah, I love that. So talking about transformation, I want to think through kind of how you looked at your tech stack, your mark tech stack. We'll start there first, probably shift over to revenue tech stack, because I'm seeing a lot of like just a lot of redundant tools and too many tools and tools pulling people out of workflow, et cetera, et cetera. But we've had conversations offline around like the difference between looking at the tech stack as a tactic versus leveraging it as a strategy. So tell me how you're approaching it, how you're looking at that, because it's an interesting concept that I had not really heard of before, but I like it. Yeah, I think I was smiling when you were kind of leading into this question. Like you can't just buy an account based marketing tool and say you do account based marketing. (laughs) What are you talking about? If I bought it, that's what we're doing. (laughs) 
It's funny. And I really think you need to take a step back right at the end of the day and know what you want to optimize for. Like what goal are you trying to drive? What kind of tech do you think that you need to get there? And then what is that strategy that you're implementing? There was this report I was reading the other day. I forget what it was, if it was like a four-star Gartner report. But it was like 30% of tech becomes shelfware, right? To your point, Jeff, it's like, because it's, you're, you're creating these unnecessary complexities that don't need to be there. Yeah. When I came in at On24, we actually took our tech investment down by 30% because of that exact thing. So I've been more kind of favoring and optimizing in the way of getting these more expansive tools that aren't necessarily so siloed and specific. And they're like, they're going to help us optimize this one thing and we're going to do it really great. Instead of saying like, okay, how can I have one tool that does three or four different things that helps through a broader piece of it to really then encourage my marketers to incorporate it into the strategy and then to figure out how can we have better outcomes because of whatever workflow we're working towards. Yeah, we had Dan Siley on the podcast. He's the CEO of Vendor Mutual. He talks a lot about this in that you get to a point where you have so many tools, you actually negatively impact your productivity because you're pulling people out of workflow, things are redundant, et cetera. How have you approached, whether in other organizations or just based on your knowledge, sitting down with sales to get aligned on what is actually in the revenue tech stack? Because the 30% actually makes 100% sense to me. But I also think that when sales and marketing buy tech in silos, you end up either buying things that are not compatible or buying platforms that could have been leveraged across the two and that you're now, there's a redundancy. So how are you looking at this marketing lead of sitting down with sales and saying like, look, let's think about this holistically as a revenue tech stack, not just a sales tech stack and a marketing tech stack. We're looking across it and we're even looking across our customer success teams, right? Like when yeah. you look at a marketing org, a sales org and a customer success team, we can have a baseline set of products. So we're definitely doing that. We're definitely aligning on it. I think it's mission critical, whether you have a revenue operations leader or you're asking your finance group or those three leaders to come together potentially to come up with a solution. I definitely think that's imperative. I think the other piece to this is buying different tools and then just assuming the other teams are going to be open to logging into them, accessing them. One thing I've been really passionate about over the last handful of full of years is if we're buying a tool that we expect like a sales rep or a business development rep to use, what is the level of ease of use? Like as a marketer, what do you think the probability is that the sales rep is going to go outside of their traditional workflow and log into that? Because I think if you take a step back, one thing that might not I don't think it's radically evolved over the years is a standardized sales process, right? Like it's still the standardized sales process that we've always had. Yes, you can maybe get them to log into one or two things. But if we're all of a sudden like, hey, you got to do these five additional things and it's really going to help you that I highly doubt that they're going to be willing to do that. So we're always looking for tools that don't disrupt their process, but can add value as they're moving through. I, I think it's such a smart approach. I would, this is one of the reasons I argue continuously that marketing leaders need to either spend time in sales or be working very closely. And I don't mean just sales leaders, actual sellers. I think one of the things when I transitioned to marketing from sales, and it was a much t- tougher transition than I thought it was going to be, but that's another conversation for another podcast. I was always kind of the squeaky wheel that had that perspective of sales is not going to do this. 
And a lot of marketers, traditional marketers, super smart that have never been in sales have this very idealistic viewpoint of what salespeople are going to do because they haven't really sat either on the phone with them or in the car with them to understand what it takes in order to make a sales call. Pre-call, you know, pre-call planning, actually setting up demos, all of that sort of stuff. It just seems a black box to a lot of marketers. And so what I tell people is at the end of the day, salespeople are on the hook for driving revenue. This is how they pay their rent, mortgage, et cetera. They are going to find the least path of resistance in order to do that. And if you are creating hurdles that to them don't provide value, and sometimes they do, but marketing is not always great at articulating that value. Like we have our kind of marketing speak and we're like, oh, this is going to X, Y, Z. And the salespeople are like, is it going to help me sell more? Because at the end of the day, that's all I really care about. <laughs> so either it doesn't help them sell more or if it does, you haven't articulated it. So I love that you are thinking in that way of how does this impact the workflow of the seller? And is it going to be worth the time that they have to invest, pull them out of what they're doing? And you have to, a lot of times, prove that to them. Definitely proving it to them and kind of being forward thinking and transparent with them. So if there is a way you get a technology that integrates directly into kind of their day-to-day workflow, that's going to be the best. But to your point, if you're getting something that's like, hey, you should really log into this or you should start to look at this, then you really need to make sure you're enabling them and explaining to them the value of how this is going to help them get more revenue or else it's never going to work. Yeah. I also think kind of another weapon for marketing leaders and executives when talking to -to go-to-market teams is taking a minute to just figure out how you're explaining what you're handing off, right? Like if you're handing off leads from a program or you're asking them to do something like how you enable and how you communicate with your go-to-market teams could be the difference from getting a 1% uplift from that program or that initiative or a 30% because if you can better capture their attention To your point, why is this important? How is this going to help me get more revenue or to be able to have more conversations? If you can capture somebody's attention in a five-minute presentation, that could make your programs and your ability to scale a night and day difference. 100%. I think some of the best advice I got early in my career as a marketer was that the external campaign is as important as the internal campaign, especially when you're trying to get sales to do something different or to engage outside of their stereotypical workflow, obviously talking to customers. And I think that's sometimes where we fall down is we get so busy and wrapped up in creating these amazing campaigns and programs, et cetera. And then we release it into the market and we're like, why sales not doing X, Y, Z? And why are they not engaging? Why are they not sharing on social? Because we sent out an email that explains to them, do these things on Friday at two o'clock and we expect them to read that email and then do it, right? So I think one of the things I would definitely put at the top of my list as far as how do you engage sales in different ways as a marketing leader or as a marketing team is what is the internal selling like campaign to get sales excited and show value. And one of the things that I think I did and got through that coaching was to get them involved really super early in the development of whatever you're doing. And the reason that it helped me was it allowed me to understand what they define as value and also what like a perfect program campaign looked like to them. A lot of times, and I come from healthcare, we can't do everything that they're asking for because it's just out of compliance, right? But at least I know and know how to articulate it and then can use those early kind of conversations and folks that gave me feedback as ambassadors to actually release that program into the field. And if it's working for one person, everybody's going to want it. We do that a lot. 
And I think that's mission critical. We're doing that right now for a campaign we're trying to launch. We're trying to get a little scrappy and figure out how to break out in this market and the conditions. And I think the other thing to that is I've noticed, don't be afraid to ask for commitment, right? Jeff, you said, hey, the sales team or the other teams across the organization, they come to you and they're like, hey, can you do this for me? And then sometimes, right, it was just like a heat of the moment request that wasn't necessarily, but your marketers could have gone off and extended time and resource against that. So I've got my team to say, yes, I think that's a great idea. Let me come back and find a solution for that. Can I get your commitment for you to help me with this? And then I have them be silent and wait for the sales leader or the person who came from them to say, yes, you have my commitment. But it also gives them an option to opt out and say, actually, no, I don't have time to commit to this. And it kind of establishes that mutual relationship and kind of to drive to an outcome because then that marketer can go back and say, hey, you said you're committed to helping me with this. How can we get this to be the outcome we want? So another nuance and kind of like trick there with the teams. No, but I love that because it also, I think, pulls because... I've also seen in in some cases, especially with junior marketers or a marketing team that isn't looked at as a strategic partner, they're looked at as sales support. You become, you start to say yes to everything because you're like, oh, well, sales asked for it. Sales needs it. Let me tell you, sales is very focused on the individual, the team, the district. And at a macro level, it may not make sense for your business, especially if you have a smaller team. So you are able in the way that you presented that, giving a soft like, well, explain to me why you think you need this. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Because, and I've been in the field where I'm like, if we had this one thing, it would change It would change it for everybody. And then you find out, it's like, no, it's just for your territory. <laughs> and you're not putting 10 marketers on a program that's only going to be effective for your territory. So I think it's a great approach. The one thing I did see when it time to do a little research on 24 that I thought was interesting, I want to get your perspective on. So the idea of first part, first party data. And I think that's becoming more and more important for organizations. And I've seen a lot of marketing leaders prioritize that. Tell us kind of how you've been approaching that differently and why more marketing teams should be more focused on generating first party data. I think first party data really helps you get to know your audience and whoever you're engaging with. So we've been more forward and since I've been at On24, figuring out different ways to engage and to get feedback with our audiences. So whether that's taking a minute to do polls, whether that's taking a minute to do surveys, right? Thinking about, okay, when I'm on this digital journey, somebody might be willing to give me 30 seconds of their time. What does that look like? Somebody might be willing to give me 30 minutes. Somebody may be even willing to give me an hour. So when we're thinking about that engagement based on their level of commitment for whatever they're opting into, how can we get the most out of that moment in time? So in even our virtual experiences, we've added in polling, we've added in asking for feedback. It actually helps us give get insights and iterations on our messaging and our positioning and what's important to them. Taking a moment to say, hey, was this relevant? What other topics do you want to hear? And then actually applying that back into your system or applying that back into what the go-to-market teams are talking about can really help you iterate in real time. So I think taking a step back and saying, how are we capturing first-party data on people throughout the entire journey really helps get that outside-in perspective that a company might not necessarily have. And how are you doing, how are you capturing that in a way that feels like in you're trying to engage them better versus just get information out of them? Because I could see it where you, not necessarily individual tactics, but you poll and survey, you ask questions and it becomes to a point where you, the buyer feels like you're just trying to get information out of me so that you can send me 
an ebook or invite me to something else? Like, how do you do it in a way that is more less transactional? Maybe is the way to say it. Less kind of like in your face. I think it's just more the industry and the thought leadership feedback, right? Like, what are you hearing? How are you hearing these things? Like, If we were having a conversation and we were using the On24 platform, it might be like, how aligned do you feel like your sales and marketing and your revenue teams are, right? And just getting that pulling in that data. And I think to your point, then it goes back to how are you aggregating that information and those insights and going back to how you can help them. So we're even doing, when we're talking to our audience, we're doing the same kind of industry leadership poll questions. And then what we're doing is taking that information and publishing it on a quarterly basis to say, here's kind of the temperature of the market. So we're not necessarily pulling them to say, hey, do you want to learn more about On24? Or do you want to speak to somebody? It's more higher up like pain point market trends, industry data that we're trying to then use to say, okay, this person is mature in their process or they're not mature in their process or kind of that kind of stuff. So I think this is interesting. It goes back to what we talked about before about becoming a trusted advisor in sharing information that you uniquely can provide to the marketplace because of course you're going to use it to kind of understand and segment and all the kind of traditional things that we do. But I think where you can take it to the next level and be proactively thinking of is how can we synthesize these insights and share it to the market in a way where they can receive value from it and see us as a thought leader. And I think that going into whether it be like a webinar or an event, whatever it may be, gives you a different lens perspective on why you are trying to get that information and knowing that you're going to spin it out via an ebook or whatever that is. Related to that, when you think about data and creating a holistic view of the buyer, so this is across the entire revenue engine, as we call it, how are you approaching that so that you can start to get this data and interactions out of silos? And specifically, I'm thinking of like, and this is for everybody, but salespeople, how can they have a more holistic view of the buyer and how they've engaged with the organization? Yeah, I think that's critical, right? Of figuring out how can we get all these data points against one person and show it in a digestible way. And I think there's tools that definitely do that. But again, I think it's teaching sales reps or and customer success teams how to find this information and whatever tools and technology they're using so they can really tell that story. So figuring out right the best way to your point, Jeff, to visualize it. And then to say, what are the key data points that we want to capture throughout the customer journey? Maybe it's, hey, we're onboarding this person. So we want to get these three questions so we can baseline it. So when our expansion teams come in or our sales reps come in, right, six months from now, they want to be able to have this conversation. So I'd say taking a step back, right, figuring out how to architect and show the data of how somebody is engaging with you. But then also as a company agreeing on, hey, these are the key data points that we want to try to capture throughout the customer lifecycle and journey. And this is how who's ever accessing and viewing that data can then use that to better do their job is key. So I like to take it from two different approaches, the external engagement and capturing that, but then also what are those data points and those milestones internally that we want to be able to tell across that entire lifecycle and that journey. That's super helpful. I'll end our conversation on kind of a big question. The market is really crowded. And I've talked about this on LinkedIn. There's pros and cons. I shouldn't say there's pros to COVID. COVID impacted us in many ways. Let's start there. One of which everybody had to start pushing digital. And it created this tsunami of digital content. Not all of it was good, but digital content on top of this is called Space Bay. 
on top of buyers. And a lot of the companies that were already pretty proficient in it continued probably ramping up, but you had all these new entrants of companies that had never done digital and they just said, start like spitting stuff out. And that created a lot of white noise. And so tactics that we were doing prior to COVID may no longer be working. And so one of the things I know you and your team at On21 are really focused on is like creating really great and engaging experiences. So I want to, at a high level, what are things that organizations can look at, specifically, obviously, the revenue engine, the go-to-market teams, about leveling up their experiences? What are the kind of key things they should be thinking about in order to do it differently than they historically have done? Yeah, no, I think figuring out how to be like as interactive and as energetic as possible is something key. So as you're thinking about your experiences or as you're thinking about how you're engaging with people digitally, is it a two-way conversation, right? And how can you do that at scale? So I would definitely say making sure that you are leaning into the how can you help and what are the insights and the takeaway versus just reading through a script. I would definitely say figuring out how you can kind of take these more digital, broad-based experiences and make them more personalized. So is there a way to be able to go into like breakouts, right? And bring like people together? Is there a way to have unique follow-ups and those unique conversations? So that personalization aspect, as much as you can do that is the best. So we don't feel like we're just one person, a part of the crowd. And I really think about how are you extending the life of your digital experiences as Zoom programs? You know, a doctor, for example, might not be able to attend a live virtual event at noon. But when they get done with the day at five, six o'clock and they're getting back to their computer, checking their email, or they want to do some sort of education, is there a digital on-demand takeaway that they can watch on their own, right, to be able to consume that? So I think that always on evergreen digital piece is definitely something for teams to think about, especially some of these groups, right, that are maybe slower to the curve, some of these industries to get ramped, like you're going to put a lot of effort into doing something that might only have like a 30 minute life. So how can you extend that so you can really extend that reach and get the most out of that program that you put together? Yeah. And you make a really good point that I think is one of the things that's top of mind for me and thinking of is a lot of, and I would say tech stereotypically does this really well, but you create these large scale videos, you create all of these like big assets, and then you just use it once. And I'm like, people like talking about ROI and being sensitive to budget is like, how can you go into the mindset of, for instance, if you're creating this overall video campaign, how do you create it and like, how do you chapterize it so that like you can share it on social later, or you can turn it into individual modules. Like there's so many things you can spit out of rich content that I sometimes, especially if you're working with agencies, like the marketing team doesn't think ahead of to say, although this is a video asset that we're creating, these are the other things that we expect to spit out or that can be done internally, whatever that looks like. But I think that should be a part of the scope of the project of like, how can we repurpose this in different ways? How do you turn it into an integrated campaign, right? Like to do live or like these digital experiences, it's a really heavy lift, right? And you have to think through it and you have all these materials. So why not break that down into five or six different things and really maximize and build on that life cycle of that? So 100%. Well, I love that we were able to get you on the show. As expected, I thought that this was a really great conversation. There's a lot around the transformation of kind of the go-to-market strategy, this whole approach to digital first, looking at data differently. 
And really, as we kind of close out on that, creating experiences that are engaging, but also give you insights that you can use to position yourself as a thought leader, as a subject matter expert, that you can give value back to your community and potential buyers. So for those that want to follow up on you, learn more about you, Callan, and On24, what is the best way for them to get in contact with you? I would say follow me on LinkedIn, send me a message if you want to connect, as well as follow the On24 LinkedIn page. There's always a lot of really great best practices, trusted advisor content on how you can really take your digital engagement and your digital experiences to the next level. So I'd say those are the two places. Love it. Well, those that are listening, if this conversation it was engaging to you and you learned some things, be sure to follow Callan on LinkedIn as well as on 2014. And Callan, again, I thank you for your time. We look forward to seeing you in the future. Awesome. Thank you. All right. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.